John chapter 14, let me give you a little background real quick. Jesus is sitting with his inner circle. He's hanging out with his 12 disciples. He's, he's been eating with them, and they've been hanging out, and they've just been talking about what's been going on in the community, and they're laughing, they're joking, they're eating together. Jesus is telling stories, as he usually does, and they're just having a great time. But then Jesus goes deep on them for a moment. Isn't it like Jesus to go deep on us? Like, Jesus, man, everything was good till you just checked me. But Jesus begins to go deep, and he starts speaking these cryptic terms, and he's telling them that I'm going to a place that you're not going to be able to come with me, and uh, somebody is going to uh, deny me, and somebody is going to betray me, and he's saying all these things, and they're just, they're like, wait, 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 hold on, Jesus, what are you talking about? I don't get it. Why all these stories about denial and betrayal? Like, Jesus, we've rode with you for the last three years, and now you're talking about going to a place that we can't go? Come on, Jesus, we've been with you all along. What's happening? Why are you talking like this? And so that's where we find the story in chapter 14. This is how it begins. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. And this is Jesus talking. Let not your hearts be troubled. And he's telling them this because he's just dropped the bomb on them. Everything is good. Everything is is, is a good time right now. We've been eating. We've been fellowshipping. We've been hanging out. And then you say you're about to leave and we can't go with you and we've walked with you for three years. Of course their hearts are troubled. You ever have a situation where somebody who you love is about to go on a journey or is about to leave or uh, leave the area? I know every time Christine's parents come and visit, they visit like three, four times a year. But every time they leave, Christine always cries. I'm like, you know, they're going to be back, right? She loves her parents. She loves being around them. And these guys have gotten into a relationship with Jesus where they love being around him and they just want to be with him. And now their hearts are troubled. And he's saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he says the statement, believe in God. In some translations, he says, you believe in God, don't you? He's telling them, he's making this emphatic statement like, no, believe in God. It'll do you good to believe in God. And then he turns around and says, believe in me also. Believe in me. But the cool thing about this is the term believe that he uses here, he's talking more than just a logical belief. Because we believe in a lot of things. You believed in that chair when you sat down that it was going to hold you up. You believe in your car that when you get in there, you turn it on and it's going to get you to point A to point B. You believe when you turn on that tattoo machine, what's it called again? The, the, yeah, it's going to work and you're going to get paid once the awesome artwork is done. But at the end of the day, you don't have an intimate relationship with that chair. I don't want to come up with cars because some people have intimate relationship with cars. I may offend my brother sitting over there over at Fry Rides. I got to check it out. It's awesome. He's got some awesome cars. I would have a relationship with those cars. My God. So we're not going to use that one. We're going to use a different example. But we, we have these inanimate objects that we believe exist. The drummer believes these drums are going to play, but they're not personal. They're not relational. And what he's saying to them, he's like, look, you believe in God. You have this 
all for God. Believe also in me, but don't just understand who I am. Don't know me just as Jesus. I want you to have a personal, intimate relationship with me and trust me. That's what he's telling them. And that is point number one for us. Something that we need to realize, the belief in Jesus is both a logical and a relational decision. We believe in the reality of Jesus Christ because history tells us that Jesus exists. Extra biblical sources tell us that there was a man named Jesus who went around doing miracles that people revered as a prophet. But then the Bible comes and opens up our minds and tells us he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the lover of our souls. He's the one who gave up everything so that we can gain eternity. Belief in Jesus is both a logical and relational decision. Then he goes on to number two. Now, this this. This blows my mind. When I was doing my studies, I was just like, this is exciting. Listen to what he says. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. In my father's house. And when he's talking about my father's house, he's, asked, he's really given a picture of heaven. This is heaven. He says, in my father's house, where my father dwells, where God dwells, are many rooms. And don't get caught up on the whole rooms thing, right? It's not talking about, like, we're all going to live in close quarters and all the introverts said amen. It's not about, I'm going to be seeing you every single day. We're not going to be living in a commune. What he's saying, essentially, is, like, in my father's house, there is a space for everyone. So check it out. In the old Jewish tabernacle, there were kind of, there were three major areas and then an outside wall uh, of perimeter where everybody else were. So the outside wall were all the Gentiles, people who believed in the Jewish God, but were not part of the Jewish people. So they couldn't go beyond the wall. And then on the inner courts, only the Jewish men could go inside the inner courts. So there was a separation. And then on the holy place, there was a place where all the priests could go, but nobody else who wasn't a priest or part of this Levitical priesthood, they called it, could go inside this place. And then finally, they had the holy of holies, the most holy place where only one priest could go in there. He was the high priest, and he could only go in there once a year. And so when he's saying, in my father's house, there's many rooms, he's saying, look, there's a place for every single person there. You're not on the outside walls. You're not just in the inner corner. Whether you are far from God or with God or have grown up with God or just making a decision to follow Jesus, there is a place for you in this place. doesn't matter what baggage you have doesn't matter what family you grew up with. doesn't matter what situations you put yourself into. Through Jesus, you've got access to all of heaven. Now, this is where it gets really fun. This is where it gets really fun. The word that he uses for father is called pater. Patear has a couple of different meanings. And as good Jewish boys who hung out with Jesus, who were raised in the Jewish uh, uh, culture, they're immediately putting two and two together. They're understanding what he's saying. The word that he uses for father, the first connotation is just natural, like the natural father, like me and you have a dad. We came from someone. It also has an ancestral uh, implication that this is all about uh, uh, 
people in your life who served as your forefathers. This is what it's talking about. But as he's saying this, there's a deeper meaning that they're beginning to discover. Check it out. The word for father that he uses means originator. The author of persons. One who infused his own spirit into others who actuates and governs them. Why is this big? All along, Jesus Christ has been claiming he's in relationship with God. He is God's son. And this is why people don't like him. This is why the Jewish community, because he is placing himself as a supernatural individual, as the very God of ages. Now, check it out. Watch these verses with me real quick. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, meaning, number one, the originator. In my father's house, so my daddy is the originator. That's what he's saying. Number two, Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living creature, one who infuses his own spirit into others. But check it out. These individuals who are listening to this, they knew this text backwards and forwards. They could quote this to you. You could tell them, go back to this section in, in, in the book of Moses, in, in Moses' writing, talking about in the book of Genesis, and they'll be able to quote this to you. So they're starting to piece things together because guess what it says in uh, John? Look at John. Are you guys following me here? This is making sense right now? John chapter 1, 2 through 3. This is what John said about him. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made, made. So now he's essentially saying, oh, yeah, remember that God who I'm talking about? Yeah, that's kind of me too. And they're sitting there like, this is just, I just I, Jesus, you're blowing my mind. Last part, John 16, 13. So he's talked about God of heaven. This is the father, the originator. He's talked about the one who uh, uh, infused his own spirit, talking about himself. And John tells us that Jesus is the one who created all of us. He's the one who breathed his breath into us before he was uh, uh, the reincarnated Jesus. John 16, 30, 13. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Last part of the definition of father who actuates and governs their minds. He has just spoke about the Trinity in one word. Come on. Everything Jesus said was meaningful. Everything he said was calculated. Jesus was always telling the story, and the thing that he wanted to always let us know is that I am more than just a good story. I'm more than just a a good man. I am more than a prophet. I am the very God who created you and who infuses his spirit to live in you and guides you every single day. Who do you say Jesus is? He says here, in my father's house in many rooms, if it were not so, would I 
have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Again, this word, going to prepare a place. Like, he's talking to them, and they're getting everything that he's saying. This word prepare that he uses was what they did in the oriental customs is when a king was going forward, they would send somebody to go and level the roads. Because obviously this is back in the day where they weren't paved roads everywhere. So they would send somebody to go clear out the brushes and make the pathway straight. And what does Jesus say later on? And I'm going ahead of time. He says, I am the way. We're going to come back to that. So from everything that he stated here, point number two, Jesus has the positional, he is God, he was with God, he is the creator, he's originator, and relational influence over my access to God. He is God's son, and whatever I ask my daddy, he's going to give me. If you ask anything in my name, you will receive it. Jesus has a positional and relational influence over my access to God. Tell me, isn't the Bible awesome? Isn't this so good? Verse number three, he comes and says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He's describing an event that's going to take place after He's resurrected after he's ascends to God. So he's prophesying of what's going to take place in the future. He's talking about his return. He's foretelling his death, burial, and resurrection and the fact that he's going to come back and take us home all one day on the second coming that we know about in Scripture. If you grew up in church, you knew about in Scripture. So this is what they're letting, uh, he's letting them know. And these individuals sitting there like, yes, the Messiah is supposed to come and redeem us. And he's supposed to come and free us. I mean, we get it, but we don't get it. And have you ever had somebody explain something to you? Maybe it was a boss or a parent and they're saying something so profound and you're just like kind of shaking your head and you're like, yeah, sort of, I get it. And that's what's happening to them in this situation. How do we know? Verse 4, you guys ever heard of a guy named Doubting Thomas? Have you heard somebody say, like, don't be such a doubting Thomas, especially if you grew up in the church world? So guess who decides to speak up? Thomas. Thomas is sitting there, and he's like, uh, yeah, but one thing. What does he say? In verse, in verse 4, Jesus finished up and he says, and you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like, let's be serious, Jesus. You've just told us a whole bunch of stuff right now that we just don't get. How in the world are we going to know where you're going? How do we know the way? Jesus, make sense of this to us. I want to know If you're going somewhere and we're supposed to be coming with you and we're supposed to know where you're going, how are we supposed to know? How can I find my way? And isn't that a a question that we all should be asking? How should I know my way? That mic. I think I'm back on. Doubting Thomas is doing what he does best, but he asks the most profound question. Even in his doubt, he asks the question, how can we know the way? How many times have you asked 
that question? Have you ever asked that question? Sometimes I believe we're just so self-reliant. We're so sure about ourselves. We're so sure that we know the best decisions for our life. So while the word, while the Bible may say one thing, we may choose to do something else because you know what? It just doesn't sit right with me. You know, I know the Bible says this about culture, but honestly, we're living in a new world. And you know what? I don't like the way that stated. I am going to choose. We're going to do like uh, uh, John Adams, one of the presidents, where he took the Bible and he ripped out all the pieces of the uh, sections of the Bible that he didn't like. I'm no shade on the president. Love the presidents. Go, you know, John Adams. But in reality, we do that. But metaphorically. We do that subconsciously. We know what the Bible states, but we'll go totally opposed to it. Why? Because it doesn't fit well with me. Because I don't like it. I don't like what Jesus says. I don't like what the Bible says. I mean, we can't even predict tomorrow, yet we're trying to dictate what our life is supposed to look like. Half of us, if you're like me, I can't even tell you what I ate last week, and I think I know how to get from point A to point B. How can we know our life? We said it last week. The end of our journey is the beginning of our clarity. And how many of us in here are willing to admit that my way leads to dead end? Because I've tried it. I've tried to go my way. I've always ended up at a dead end where I'm just like, okay, this didn't work. I need something else. And what do I always fall back to? Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's exactly how he answers Thomas. But before we go there, point number three, my ignorance. And see, ignorance is also by choice. There are times we can be ignorant of something simply because we don't know. But a lot of us, especially a lot of us self-proclaimed Christians, are ignorant by choice. We choose to be ignorant over certain things. And even those who aren't Christians, we know that there could be a better way, but we choose a different way. And here goes the deal. Point number three, my ignorance is not a hindrance to his presence. Jesus was still there. If you know something about the Bible, you'll realize that these 12 guys that hung out with Jesus all abandoned him at his crucifixion. Except for John. John was there, but he didn't do anything to stop it. He just stood there. And watched. All of them turned their back on Jesus. And at the point of his resurrection, when Mary came and said, he's alive, they were like, we don't believe you. So close, but yet so far. In his presence, but have no clue what's going on. And the beauty about it is, Jesus remained with them till the time he was ascended. My ignorance is not what? A hindrance to his presence, but it's a hindrance to my progress. Jesus is going to be there with us every step of the way. But the problem is we're going to remain stationary until we allow him to take lead. The end of my journey is the beginning of my clarity. Then he gets to verse 6 where he, where he answers him. 
Verse 5, he said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's he's telling them that I'm the road that's been paved. Remember, I go prepare a place for you. It's on my back. The road to your eternity, the road to your uh, success, the road to your fulfillment of joy in your life is me. I am the paved road. Jesus didn't come with earth movers. Jesus moved into earth. And he dwelt among us. Fully God. Fully man. So that he can give his life as a ransom for us. He says, I am the way. You know, the Jewish temple that we just talked about, there was this veil that covered the holy place from the most holy place. And when Jesus went on the cross and he said, it is finished, meant the separation between man and God was over. It says the the veil that covered was ripped from the top down. From the top down. Come on, somebody. From the originator. He says, I'll fix it. I'll make the way. And so now we've got access to God. He is the way to God. Doesn't matter whether you stumble. Doesn't matter whether you don't see this clearly. Doesn't matter what what I just said about the Father. All of that is still jumbled up in your mind. It really doesn't make sense. He says, bottom line is, just follow me. Just follow the name of Jesus. He's the way. He's the way in our relationships. He's the way in our careers. He's the way in our parenting. He's the way in our conflict. He says, I'm the truth. So what he's telling them here is he's the embodiment of all the Old Testament prophecies. Everything, next week is going to be so good as we talk about this. Everything that Moses and all of the old prophets and everybody who wrote the earlier portion of the Bible, everything that they wrote, all the sacrificial systems that they had in the old Jewish customs, they all pointed to Jesus. They all revealed Jesus. He is the truth. And then to make it worse, the the Jewish people, because they were all about laws and they were all about doing things their way, they had all these factions in the Jewish uh, uh, community. So you've got 600, 700 some odd laws that you have to follow. But this person said you got to follow them this way. And this person said you got to follow them this way. And this person said you have to follow them this way. And as a good Jew, you had no clue which one to follow. And to make it worse, none of you could follow it anyway. We can follow it anyway. All of the lose, if, if I didn't have the money, if I didn't have the clout, if I didn't have the resources to do things a certain way, oh well. He says, I'm the true way. I'm the truth. Checking out what it says in John chapter 117. It says, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You know, we often say, what's true for me may not be true for you. But what happened when he says he is the truth? 
He's the originator of truth. That means everything he says is true. It's true about the way we're supposed to live our lives. The, the, the truth about the way we're supposed to treat other people around us. The truth about the way we're supposed to treat this world that he's allowed us to be stewards of. The truth about the way we're supposed to govern our finances. The truth, the way we're supposed to deal with our marriages. And the truth is the way we're supposed to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's the life. Jesus is the source and the power of the resurrected life of a believer. Without Jesus Christ, there is no resurrection. There is no new life. There is no regenerated life. There is no new anything. The, the, Romans, uh, uh, Paul tells us this world is passing away. But in Jesus Christ, what did he say? I will come and I will make the earth anew. He is the life. He is the reviver of dead situations. He is the reviver of dead relationships. He is the reviver of dead hope, of dead courage. He is the reviver of dead faith. He is the life. You know, we try to convince ourselves, hashtag good lives matter. As long as I live a good life, as long as I do the right things, as long as I give positive thoughts, as long as I think about all the right things and I just try to be a good person, maybe Jesus will accept me because he understands my heart. And what Jesus says, even your goodness, what does is, what is God tell us in the word? Even on our best days, even the great things that we try to do, on those best days where we actually are patting ourselves on the back and feeling like we've done something good, even that without Jesus is nothing but filthy rags. Compared to the holiness of God, even our good is dirt. But check it out. Listen to this. Jesus purchased our lives through his death, burial and resurrection on our behalf, so that when we come into God's presence, it's not by our own merit that we stand justified, but only by the flawless character of Jesus Christ do we receive our eternal life. Jesus is more than a good story. Jesus is more than a good allegory. Point number four, Jesus is the path, the vehicle, and the destination of my life. It starts with Jesus, it ends with Jesus, and he is everything in between. If we are not following Jesus, we are not on the right path. If we're not following Jesus, how do we gauge truth? If we're not with Jesus, there is no eternal life. He said it. That's what he said. He said, no one comes to the Father unless through me. Jesus is more than a good allegory. Jesus is more than a good moral story or moral end to the story. See, Jesus, he's the author of the story. He's the illustrator of the story. He's the main character of the story. 
He's the binding cover of the story. He's the publisher of the story. He is the store in which we purchase the story because he's purchased eternal life for me and you. Here goes the question though you've got to answer today. Is Jesus a good story in your life? Or is he the way, the truth, and the life? Think about that. As you lived your life every single day, just think about this week. If you were to take a measure of your week, did Jesus come out as the hero of your story this week? Or is he a good thought to have at the back of your mind? How about, how about we move from just knowing Jesus to actually allowing Jesus to be the author and finisher of our faith in our life? And we can do that in practical ways. See, Jesus Christ, when he walked on this earth, this is what he said. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. The church is the number one vehicle in which to bring this message and this story and this glory of Jesus Christ to the world around us. So the first thing that I'll ask you to do, that if you've heard this story today and something in your life has just said, you know what, I've heard about the story of Jesus. I've known about the story of Jesus. But he's been nothing but a good story. And today you want to make a decision and say, I don't want him just to be a story. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I want him to be the main character of my life. I want you to make that decision today. If, if, if you've been a Christian and you've walked along and just kind of gone through the motions, and you know that now it's time to allow Jesus to become real in your life, to become the author and finisher of your faith. Maybe it's time for you to take the next step of baptism. Next week, we have a baptism service. It's going to be amazing. All heaven will rejoice and we will party along with them. And Jesus says, enter my story. And he wants all of us to follow in his footsteps. Maybe you need to be baptized. Maybe you're like me, you were baptized as a little kid and had no clue what the heck you were doing and you were doing it for mommy and daddy and you're like, I'm an adult now, this is my decision. I want to walk with Jesus for the rest of my life and I'm publicly declaring that Jesus is my Lord. I want to invite you to get baptized. And if if you're a Christian who's been coming to church once in a while, when it's convenient for you, when I'm not busy, When I don't have stuff to do, maybe I'll show up. Maybe it's time for you to allow to enter Jesus's, allow Jesus to be the author of your story by becoming an active part of his local church. Showing up every week, learning about Jesus, connecting with others who are walking this same journey with you. None of us have arrived. We're all on the journey. And all I'm saying is I'm just inviting you on the journey. Don't allow Jesus just to be a good statement in your life, a good story in your life, but begin to walk with him daily. And and maybe now you're an attender, somebody who comes to church. You come to church every week. 
you're connected, we high five, you come in and out. Maybe it's time for you to take the next step and become part of the research team. We've got so many serving opportunities in church. One of the best ways is to get connected with God's body and to allow Jesus to be real in your life is to do what he did, and he served. Day in and day out, he served others. I love what it says in Philippians 2. It says, don't count yourself so highly. Jesus didn't count himself, uh, his situation with God to be so high that he didn't, he wasn't willing to give his life for us. Or maybe you should join a regroup. Each week we've got small groups taking place where we're going and we're talking about Jesus and we're connecting about Jesus. And I want to invite you this week, we kick back into regroup. Join a regroup. Don't let Jesus just be a good story in your life. Allow him to be the author and the finisher, the writer and the publisher of your life. If you want to make that decision today, any of these decisions, I'm just going to ask you to stand. If you're tired of Jesus being just an allegory in your life, go ahead and stand with me. The end of your journey is the beginning of your clarity. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you so much for not seeing your position with God so high that it kept you away from us, but you condescended yourself and came down to earth and walked and talked with us, and you entered our story so that you can invite us into your story. Lord, I pray that you will move in our lives. Everyone in this space who's making a decision to follow you for the first time, individuals who are recommitting their lives, individuals who want to choose to be rebaptized, individuals who are saying, it's time for me to plug in, individuals who are saying, it's time for me to serve. Lord, I pray that you may revive us through your eternal life. I pray, God, that you may build us up. You may help us have joy, that you may help us have satisfaction. You may help us have new life in you. Because, God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Forever and ever. Amen.